Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Season 2, Episode 6, Healing Sanctuary. Hello, everyone. I am delighted you are taking the ACEs inventory and learning more about trauma in your own life or the life of others you love. Oh, the wisdom of trauma. If we are willing and open, there is much to learn about ourselves, our bodies, our anatomy, our health, and what is possible for healing if we think about trauma as a portal for learning, a lens through which we can view the world with compassion and see things in a fresh new way. There's an amazing film debuting this summer called The Wisdom of Trauma. It features Gabor Mate, a trauma expert, a physician with a special interest in childhood development and trauma, and also addictions. He has retired and is now devoting his time to trauma healing work. I would encourage you to register to see it for free, or you can send a small donation. You can find it at www.thewisdomoftrauma.com. There's an aspect of healing related to the environment we create around ourselves, whether it is a physical healing or emotional healing, or both. Where we are in the blink of an eye story, it's a turning event day. Not so much for Archer's medical prognosis, but for his surroundings, his quality of life, and the quality of life in his hospital room. It was on this day that I intentionally created our healing sanctuary. There were pieces of it being put in place since our arrival, including no television, the frim-fram music, reading books to Archer throughout the day, and fresh flowers I brought every few days back from my summer garden. But I had this strong desire on this day in the story to do more. Archer had just been through so much. I wanted to create a spa-like experience for him. You know how if you've ever gone to get a massage, there's often a waiting area that is quite pleasant, right? There's usually a wonderful aroma of fresh air scented delicately with some exotic fragrance. And it's quiet often with a waterfall-sounding element or the soundtrack of water or of nature, the ocean, 
a trickling creek, something like this. Doesn't just thinking of that make you relax? It does me. Well, at a time when I felt very powerless, there was some power I still had left. I could transform Archer's room into a place that felt nurturing and relaxing. I wanted that for Archer. And why not? A hospital room may have seemed like the last place on earth for a spa feeling. But why not? We all have the power to do this. It seems to me it's the least any of us can do for someone we're caring for in an ICU. Okay, it may be a little avant-garde, even precocious, but is it really? It is so good to use your power for healing, even if it does go against the norm. I will explore the use of power in the accompanying trauma healing learnings. I hope you might consider creating a healing sanctuary in whatever way you can for your loved one if you do happen to be in a trauma unit or intensive care unit. And I had this big epiphany that even if it were not a spa and not a massage, I could hold Archer's hand and create the same atmosphere in the hospital to calm Archer's nervous system and promote his healing, his wellness. That is what you're about to hear in the Archer blogs in this episode. And you know, it took me a number of days to get steady enough to implement the healing sanctuary idea. And indeed, it was implemented gradually and in stages. I suspect it might take folks in an intensive care unit situation a while too. Since the state of your life, if and when you are in a trauma ICU, is likely turned upside down in the blink of an eye. And you feel terribly wobbly. And you can't afford to be, though, because it's very intense. It's not easy to think of everything you need especially when you are in tunnel vision. But you might be the very friend who brings the idea of a healing sanctuary to your friend who is in the hospital. Or you might be the family member who shares the idea with your siblings, the idea of raising the vibration for healing through the senses in the hospital room, with small additions that absorb or counteract the harsh, clashing sounds of the ICU, and other ways to elevate the healing vibration in the hospital room itself, with just a few adjustments and improvising to use what you have. Okay, let's get back to the story now. And let's anticipate benefit for ourselves and those we love 
with this episode and consider ways we might bring and create healing environments wherever we happen to be, even if we wish we are not where we are, but we are. So sit back, settle in, settle your spirit. Something good is coming your way. Be open to whispers in your life. To be a trauma healer. We all are when we choose to be. Here we go. August 17th, day 13. Life can change in the blink of an eye. I was restless. It was not yet the break of dawn of the new day. Monday. The doctors told us Archer needed a tracheotomy. Then they postponed the tracheotomy surgery that was supposed to take place in a few hours. They told me it would be temporary. I had asked what a tracheotomy was, as I had never heard of one. A trach, if you don't know, is a large tube they insert down the throat down the esophagus. They cut an incision in the throat to insert it. The tube goes straight to the lungs, bypassing the intestines. The tube is a portal that allows medical staff to insert other smaller tubes down it, cleaning the lungs or for breathing. I actually had to look that up though because all they told me is that it would allow Archer to breathe easier. And they assured me it would only be temporary. An incision into his throat? How large an incision? A large scar? Why does he have to have this? Archer was going to be covered in scars, as this would be his sixth surgery in less than two weeks. But then they canceled it. I didn't know what was next. I watched Archer lying motionless in the bluish gray of his room. His lungs were still not draining. His heartbeat was still in the low 40s. His peep on the ventilator had plateaued at a number they said was not acceptable. Every time the medical team came in to do the regular percussing of his lungs every two hours, and the other team came every three or four hours to turn his long body onto one side or the other, his vitals would drop frighteningly low. And there was talk that he could not tolerate what was necessary. There were different medical opinions about what to do, but it seemed there were not any that converged except one to perform a tracheotomy surgery. And now that was postponed. I felt at the mercy of the medical staff. It wasn't a good feeling. It was a feeling 
powerlessness. And it was also making me suspicious. Has that ever happened to you? Where you feel so powerless at the hands of what others say or do that totally impacts your life? And you're not the decision maker of your own life? It reminded me of the old jury days when the jurors in court would be deciding the fate of my client based on a small bit of information we were allowed to get into evidence about their lives. I never actually liked that feeling. What did the doctors not know? What did I not know that they knew? I was restless. I was beginning to think Archer's situation was too complicated for this hospital. Why didn't they know what to do? And why did it feel so chaotic? And also, just stagnant, like a lot of wheels spinning, getting nowhere. I wanted to go home. I wanted to take Archer home. Do you know what I mean? Please, Lord, get us home. How could we get Archer home? I was beginning to feel trapped and powerless. It was in this very unsettled state that I looked around Archer's room. It was still dark. Please guide me, Lord. As my mind raced through different scenarios, I thought about power. I didn't like it in the hospital because as the days went by, we were losing all our power. I felt it. If things had been progressing, I probably would not have felt this way. But Archer kept having things happen to him, and it was getting worse by the day, not better. I tried to tell people it was getting better so they would not abandon us, but it wasn't really getting better, except that Archer was still alive. In the darkness of Archer's room, not yet the break of dawn, as I looked about that hospital room, I knew it would be light out soon. I closed my eyes and said a Hail Mary. I felt a little calmer when I opened my eyes. But as I did so, I'll never forget how haphazard everything in the room looked to me. We had been living in that room almost two weeks. Besides all the monitors and the lines and the bags, and some of the tubes were tangled, sort of kinked into each other. There were half-open plastic tubes of saline left on top of the monitors. There were gifts people had sent us on the counter. A couple packages near the door I hadn't even opened yet. On top of one was a pair of hospital latex gloves. There were some clothes, mainly more jackets, and a cloth bag in a corner. 
a glass pan of half-eaten brownies someone had dropped off on the counter along with my medical journals and medical supplies. Another empty, half-empty plastic vial of saline was right next to the brownies. There was a plant with a florist blue bow on a stick stuck into it. A couple stacks of towels not yet put away. A large trash can near the door for medical waste. Another one near Archer's bed that was overflowing. A vase of zinnia flowers from my garden set on top of the toilet where Archer couldn't even see them. And there were other gifts that there just wasn't space for on the counter. They were almost in the way, like bouquets of flowers. Even though we liked them so much, there was no room. And the medical staff did not like them either, really. So I had asked if I could set them outside the room on the nurse's stands out in the donut hole. But it kind of saddened me. And it kind of bothered me, too, as I knew they had been sent to cheer Archer. And there was the open toilet for discarding all the human waste and fluids from Archer's body. And that bugged me, too. I looked at my fold-out chair with the blankets heaped on it and my papers I was writing notes on. It was just a lot of stuff in the room. It felt disheveled and random and not good. As I was just sort of scanning, taking it all in in the quiet of the night, I had this thought. Create order and beauty. It will help Archer heal. It was actually a sweet thought. A why not thought. I got up as I felt this urge to organize. It was the same feeling I have had on so many occasions in my life when I've had something coming up that is sort of big and I know I have to devote a lot of time and concentration to it, like writing and putting together an agreement for clients, something important. And I find myself having to clear and tidy and organize my office to get my space prepared before I can begin the big project. And it really helps me clear my mind and do good work. I often get fresh flowers too. I do. Maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about and you do the same thing. Do you do the same thing? Well, that's how it was. I felt I could restore some order and bring some beauty into room 3117 to elevate Archer's spirits. And it was then, sort of as a second thought, that I decided I would turn that hospital room into a healing sanctuary. 
appeared around the room in the dark and it was so clear to me. (laughs) I remember how it felt to smile over a good thought. You know that feeling, right? Not the cat in the hat kind of thought and feeling, but the Winnie the Pooh kind of thought and feeling. Oh, yes, Pooh Bear. I looked up and said, Thank you, Lord. A healing sanctuary. That's a good idea. Even here. I remembered there was a little table I had spied on my daily walk around the unit that was in another unoccupied room. The only table I had seen like it. Sort of a one-off, random, little table. I knew the nurses would be changing shifts at 7 a.m., and I thought I could enlist a couple of them before shift change to maybe help me when it was quiet. It was always quiet during that part of the morning because the nurses were starting their transition process to the next shift as they passed the baton to the next nurse taking over their patients. I felt hopeful because the nurse on duty that night was one of my favorites, and I had jotted her name in the back of my journal as a keeper. It was around 5 a.m., maybe 5.30, I think, when she came in to check on Archer. And I asked her if she could help me in the next hour or so when she had a free moment. And I asked if she could enlist one of her colleagues, too. I explained what I hoped to do. And why? The idea of a healing sanctuary. The movement, the plan, the beginning implementation, and her response of yes had me feeling hopeful. I crawled back in my chair bed and tried to rest until the nurses returned. Archer had been restless too but was now sleeping. It was good. About the time of daybreak, the nurses helped me carry that table piece of furniture I had spied back into our room. Truly, I had just wanted to make sure it was okay, and having their blessing that it was okay to move it was also important to me. I got to work. We had made it through the night. And with God's nudge, I felt like maybe I wasn't so powerless. I did have a little power, and I was going to use the power I had to create something good in that room. I may not have understood the medicine, and I wasn't a medical doctor or a nurse, but I could create a healing environment. And not only for Archer, but for the medical staff, too, to do their highest and best work in that room for our son. Later in the morning, I typed out this message to family and friends. He's resting more peacefully, and the room is infused with freshness of lavender and peppermint and rose in an oxygen-rich air. 
It reminds me of the botanical gardens Billy and I used to take the children to at the Smithsonian. I also asked the staff if they'd help me by moving a little table which forms the base for a feng shui screen of sorts. I makeshifted it between Archer's bed and the toilet and the human waste disposal, both of which are in a corner. So as a barrier between that corner and Archer, now resting on that small table are flowers from my garden, a bamboo plant and rocks that was a gift, and a flower arrangement of roses he received, and waited on the floor as part of a makeshift screen is a bouquet of helium balloons he also received. Hmm. That should provide some movement, some protection from the evil lurking in the waste. I have the Eucharist in our midst that I brought from church as we gather around Archer to quietly pray the rosary while holding his hands. He also likes the St. Peregrine medal someone sent, and we pray those prayer sequences as well. So we are creating a healing sanctuary in his room. We can now let in one person at a time briefly and keep closed the sliding door behind the curtain which helps block out all the noises and buzzers and alarms that go off 24-7 in trauma ICU. The staff comment it's a first for them to see this but they all like to stop in and when they do it's now incredibly respectful and dare I say, even loving, despite the medical error four days ago, which caused so much distress. Archer emanates love and forgiveness. Bless them all. As I sent it, the craziest thing You know how on your phone, what can pop up randomly, like a photo taken on the same date, but from a previous year kind of thing? Well, artificial intelligence on smartphones was not that sophisticated in 2015. And it wasn't a photo that popped up. But what did appear on my phone as I went to text that message was a longer text I had written, but never sent still sitting on my phone to family and friends from a few days before. I have no idea how that happened, but it did. As I read it, my reverie from breathing in the soft, fresh smells that now infused Archer's room was quickly punctured by a stab of harsh reality. The bridge of my nose began to sting as I began to weep reading the note. How can it be? Life has changed so much. It read 
15, Day 8, Wednesday. It has been 36 hours of moments of deep despair and flickers of progress. I call those our little miracles. Your prayers are being heard. They just manifest in ways I could never have seen as miraculous before. And now, I do. They say Archer is a burst C5 injury, and thus likely to be on a ventilator for the long term. Then he shows us how hard he's trying to gag and cough on his own, which is what he needs to be able to do to get off the ventilator. His will is a miracle. But the doctors say he has a severed spinal cord and he can try, but there isn't enough nerve conduction to allow him to breathe on his own. In my low moments, I think it is only hope and God's mercy that allows the whisper of possibility for Archer have a meaningful life as a quadriplegic who also requires a ventilator. That is what we were told tonight, that he'd be on a ventilator the rest of his life. I know that cannot be. Or can it? And we accept and find meaning. Oh, dear God, please take us back to just four days ago, before the medical error, before his blood pressure head explosion, before the six-minute flatline heart attack, before all of that. Please, just let Archer live. I know he wants to live. He told you he does. There are things he needs to do, Lord. I think if someone would have lived in my head with me back then, they may have thought I was crazy the amount of time I was in conversation with the Lord. But I felt the Lord was close. And so... I needed to feel God's presence as I begged for guidance. And I begged for life. And yet, many things from what seemed like the outside world felt as necessary as prayers. Maybe they were prayers or answers to my prayers. I think they were like the way friends told me to write things down and the way people showed up for us in all kinds of ways. It was breathtaking. People are so good. Like my youngest sister Lillian, who had come from almost a thousand miles away from Illinois for just a weekend. A school teacher with three little girls under the age of six at the time, getting on an airplane 
just showing up. I knew her school year was starting and she had so much she needed to do. She taught five grades of kids. But she just came. And what I remember so vividly is how she walked in to our hospital room coming straight from the airport. And it was just she and a tiny backpack on her back. That's it. I had a chance to interview Lillian Phipps Johnston over five years later about her coming all that way. And here is a small excerpt. You'll hear more from Lillian in episodes to come. She's an art teacher in Winnetka, Illinois. I was, you know, in the, you know, in the Midwest, you guys are on the East Coast. I have these little kids. I can't just like hop on a plane to come help you. Just to know that there was maybe something I could do to be helpful made me feel like I wasn't helpless, <laughs> right? I wanted to be useful. So, I mean, anything... No, I never, I never, ever felt put upon ever. Right. Never. And I was happy to, I mean, any step of the way. And then I was so pleased when I was finally able to fly out there, um, to, uh, to Atlantic city when he was in the ICU. And here we're talking about the good graces of our friends and family. My friend, you know, Melissa, who paid for my plane ticket cause I didn't have the money. Right. And I so desperately wanted to be there for him. Oh, I, I remember that Lil. It was in the early, it was like in the first few days. And um, she was so generous. And it's so crazy because it's like, why didn't I just say, I'll pay for you to come? Oh, because Louise, no, I mean, are you kidding me? Like, look what the situation you're in. No. And that was, you know, of course, it's like, I don't even know if you knew I was coming because I didn't, I, I didn't want to bother you. When you told me when you were there and you told me Melissa had I paid. Think I just showed up. <laughs> It was awesome. With your backpack, you flew into like Atlantic City. Yeah, with my little backpack and um, special in the hospital room. And I think, I hope at least that gave you some kind of a uh, reprieve. I'm, I'm sure you probably didn't get any rest. Oh, but I did. Her presence quieted my spirit. It's a prime factor in comfort to feel the presence of those you know love you around you. Yeah, yeah. So you gave us some respite. Which <laughs> the, 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 my anxieties came in helpful for one month. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you, anxieties. <laughs> I, just, I just won't ever forget your arriving with a backpack. And I think that <laughs> remind me in a, in a way that I had never thought about why I, that was such a indelible picture in my mind, Lillian walking in to the hospital room with her backpack because there was no baby or little one or diaper bags and all the other accoutrements that come with young motherhood. <laughs> but <laughs> so, so good to see you my my sweet wonderful and to see and to see archer and i don't know if he was aware that i was there or not but um just 
you know, just to be able to see him. You know, Lillian faced the same feeling I did, feeling powerless at first, so far away, not able to do anything to help us from so far away. And then she realized she was not powerless and helpless. She had her presence, and she used the power she had to show up. She came. (laughs) She herself was a breath of fresh air that was also part of our healing sanctuary. She was all I needed. In that precious less than 48 hours that she was there. But I didn't ask her to come. She just did. She knew. Thank you, Lillian. And she joined my brother Tripper, who flew in too from Bloomington, Illinois. Took them each a full day, separately, to just arrive. He flew into Philadelphia and rented a car, and she into Atlantic City. And on a teacher's salary, and then took a cab from the airport to the hospital. Both of them using precious resources to come be with us, even for just a little window of time. Each minute of their time was so precious to me. I'll never forget that. It was so powerful to be with your siblings. I knew they loved me. But being together was so restorative. And then there were the homemade chocolate chip cookies someone mailed us and the pan of brownies someone hand-delivered to the hospital. I was reminded of how a few bites of chocolate is so pleasurable. It was powerful, too, because it was a potent reminder that it was still possible to experience sweetness amidst the devastation. It was big for me to realize that. Thank you, friend bakers, from the bottom of my heart. It was all part of a turning point. The intentionality of working towards healing and creating a healing sanctuary. Everything we needed was already there or showing up. I was aware of an experience that all my senses were waking up, were opening wide, maybe from the peppermint and lavender in the room, maybe from the oxygen from freshly cut garden flowers, maybe from the closed glass door and the soft music on the jam box, maybe from the chocolate maybe from the presence of my brothers and sisters, maybe from all of it. It was potent medicine. 
I felt very clear-headed and I felt hopeful. I took in a breath. I remember wondering if this was having the same effect on Archer. I closed my eyes to meditate and pray to the Blessed Virgin Mother in gratitude. And this thought came to me to use my imagination to envision Archer breathing on his own. I had to drive back to Cape May to meet Billy as we had a late afternoon mediation session with our mediator, Rachel Wall. It was our second session. Rachel is another person for whom I will be forever grateful. I introduced you to Rachel in season one, and I hope you had a chance to get to know her a little bit better in the bonus interview between seasons. I know. She shared a rare point of view of what it was like as a neutral, working with two people who were almost falling apart and struggling so hard not to. While it had only been a week ago, today, Billy and I were in a place, a new place, to make many decisions. There were just so many we had to make. I can't tell you how valuable a transformative mediator can be for facilitated dialogue and quality decision-making. I don't know what we would have done without the mediated sessions. I put the notes of the day and showed Lily in the journals and how to keep track of who did what. And Tripper then came to join her and stayed as late as he could. When Lillian needed to head back to Chicago, I drove back to the hospital. There were always the driving and coverage logistics to make sure there was always someone responsible with Archer. We were used to it now. But how I cherished the peace of mind I had this weekend and this day, knowing Lillian and Tripper had been our eyes and ears while we were away mediating and gone a few hours. Now they were gone. Even though it was mid-August and everyone was heading back to school and work, I was committed to making sure Archer was never left unattended. And I had to think about that and who could help the rest of the week. You know, I was learning that you never leave a loved one unattended in an intensive care unit. You really don't. There's no way the patient can know what all is going on. And a lot goes on. A patient needs the support and the extra set of responsible and loving ears and eyes. And it was doubly important for us. (laughs) because, well, Archer had no way to even call out for help or even to hit a call button. I knew we had to remain steady and do whatever it took to create as much stability as we could for him. 
and around him. I get there and I think, um, oh, you know, this is like the worst moment in my sister's life. She's going to be a mess. And um, I just didn't know what to expect, you know, because I'm so used to you being like so put together and in charge. And, you know, I just wasn't sure. Like I was like trying to brace myself for like what I, what, how can I be the most helpful? What am I walking into? I don't want to be a mess. I don't want to walk in crying. That's not going to help anybody. You know, this whole thing, I'm like running this uh, like scenario through my head. And, um, but of course it was like, I was so in awe of how you just had it together. And I don't know how you were doing that. It was almost as if like you were on autopilot, right? You knew what you had to do. You had to be in charge. Somebody had to be the advocate for, you know, for Archer and that was falling on you and Billy. And you guys just, you know, I walk in and you're, you know, hugging me and smiling and, and, you know, and you had it all together and you had all the notes and the, you know, okay, we're gonna, I said, I'm here now, you, you go get something to eat or whatever. And you were like, here's every, you know, here are the lists and here's what you need to do. You had it all organized. And, you know, I don't know if I ever <laughs> could, be like, I guess I feel like I would be like a total, like, I don't even know, a mess. But of course you had it all. I mean, I just was so in awe of how, how together you guys had it and how you were advocating for him. And it was just really, it was really astounding and amazing and inspiring, you know? Thank you. Well, you know, I didn't always have it together. I was, <laughs> I was a complete mess. Yeah, I, I, I guess I have to really believe God doesn't give you what you can't handle, right? Hasn't mom said that to us? Oh, yeah. Million times. Yeah. No. Well, and then it's also, uh, what's, what other choice do you have, right? What other choice do you have? Exactly. You do have, you do have a choice. It was like that. We all have that choice. We can fall into despair, or we can use our power to make a choice to contribute to our loved one's welfare, and reciprocally, our own, really. We don't know if it'll be a small or large contribution. It doesn't matter. It's moving in the right direction for all of us. It was for me like, I had to find the right direction and turn my face toward it, toward the light. I was so grateful for the compass of faith. My grandmother and mom taught me faith. Faith and the healing sanctuary now. It was like the effect of smelling salts. It was soft and sweet. We were all in this together, awake and alive. And all I wanted was to bring that feeling and that belief to Archer. But I think it was within him. I was beginning to see it in his eyes again today. He was just a boy 
He had a future. He was not going to die in this hospital. That was not his path. As Lillian and I had traded places, I had noticed Archer was reviving. Literally. It was amazing. And then there was the, you know, the, you know, there's so many things that just like, you know, stuck with me from that, like, um, you know, massaging Archer's head was because it was like one of the only things that that he could feel and that, you know, gave him some kind of relief. And 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 there was so such little uh, he wasn't just he, he wasn't able to communicate really at that time. And, but there was like this sort of nodding like because I'd scratch his head, you know, blink his eyes. And then he would sort of like, yeah, like I'd, I'd stop it. And it was like, no, 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 keep going. <laughs> you know, like, you had to like read the signals. And that was just very sweet. You know, it was, it was tender. It was really sweet. Yeah. Archer loved Lillian so much. They were both artists. And the power of touch it's all part of healing, too. And the power of restored light in our eyes. Was it the effect of the healing sanctuary? The smells? The music? Of Aunt Lillian gently massaging his head? I don't know. But it was a fact that Archer was becoming bright-eyed. And by the end of the evening, he asked if I would continue to read to him from the book Sous Chef. My heart fluttered when he asked, Of course, I'll go get it. Archer continued to rest and seemed peaceful. And I sat down to write my final message of the day. Family and Friends Update Archer is resting, having had a good night. He tolerated the turnings without his vitals dropping so low. My brother and sister from Chicago and Bloomington, Illinois, just left. Pulling out the driveway, Billy said, after three days of coming to help love and support Archer and giving Billy and me this day for mediated dialogue, and decision-making. Please pray for us on that. In the hospital, I saw a glint of tear in the corner of Archer's eye when Lillian told him goodbye. Now they leave me too, as they should and need to. Life moves on but I feel like my heart is breaking and I'm sobbing as I write. It's that same feeling I remember having when I'd be pulling out of the driveway in Springfield during the college years, leaving mom after my being home on a school break as I headed back to Virginia, back to UVA. She would be telling me goodbye and that she loved me and I'd be telling her goodbye and that I loved her. I would slow the car to a crawl. Her eyes would well up 
and then my eyes would well up. I'd stop the car. She'd shoo me away to go on, and I'd begin to pull out of the driveway again. My eyes would sting from my tears as if I'd fall apart if they leaked out, and I couldn't let her see that. And I neared the end of the driveway, and she'd wave at me again, and I'd wave at her again <laughs> like little kids, both of us trying to be strong for each other. And then I'd set off for my long journey and just fall apart, the hot tears streaming down my cheeks and my chest heaving up and down, already feeling the achiness of missing her as if I'd never see her again. I knew it wasn't true. I believed I would, of course, see her again. But it didn't make it any easier in the moment of feeling like the cord that connected us was severed. Severed by growing up. Severed by life. I am now familiar with that sadness, longing, and panic. I also feel very alive when it comes over me in waves, like it did and is doing now. It's just as sharp, just as hot, and feels just as severed. I am aware that the intensity, though, is not as long-lasting now as it was in my youth. Because now, I have practiced methods of deep breath work to rely upon, and that grounds me. But the feeling in my heart and my chest cavity is the same, just like then. I know I'm being held together by a knowing that I know what it is like to love and be loved. I so miss them already. They were so good to come, so good to come so far. Everyone is so good to us. We have the most wonderful family and friends. Please be safe and alert, my dear ones. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Please pray again today. Prayer rosary. Pray in thanksgiving for good people and for all the good things God has given us. Pray for Archer's heart and lungs. Pray for his healing and ours and yours. Pray that in our brokenness, we find restoration through God's love and mercy and forgiveness, which we give each other in his name. We really need each other. We all really, really do need each other. Amen.
and please pray to the Blessed Mother and give someone a boost, a hug, a small kindness. Even Archer, in his motionless state, with no sensation in or ability to use his arms and hands, knows the love of hugs, as we know from his first hours post-surgery when he asked Pete to hug him. And he wanted to hug James. There may be times when we may need some help wrapping our arms around each other. Or times when we can be the help to lift someone's arms around us. We do truly need each other. Love is a very symbiotic, chemical, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual thing. We are gladdened to be alive to experience it. Good night, dear family and friends. I love you so much. Please keep praying. St. Peregrine intervened for us today. Amen. Almost immediately after I posted my update, I received a text from the woman I mentioned to you before whom I still had not met, Sue Wonder from Cape May Courthouse. It was crazy I had never met her, but I felt I knew her almost inside and out a complete stranger. But she and I had a bond, quadriplegic sons. She had taken the time to find us and had come all the way to Atlantic City when she read the newspaper account. She had gotten my text number from some friends and we had exchanged a number of texts. This was the most recent. Here's what she said. Hi, Louise. Thank God Archer has begun to improve. Sorry I missed you yesterday. Just popped in to give you a hug. My heart is hurting with yours. Now as Archer gains strength, the climb begins, and you never look back, except to celebrate the distance you've covered. Remember... One small battle at a time. You and your boy are winning. XO. You have no idea what that did to me. It also allowed me to cry, I guess in relief. It was like a battle. And we were going to win this one. Right, Lord. I drove back down the Garden State Parkway and arrived back in Cape May around 1.30 a.m. The house was quiet. Anyone there was sleeping, and I wasn't even sure who was there. I did my usual walking around, wandering from room to room, looking at things that were archers. Any night I drove back, I did this, as whatever I looked at 
the same things now. One time, two times, five times. Every time the memory or thought of Archer not being able to do whatever it was that I looked at was the trigger for another levy opening to a new floodgate of tears. But I was safe in our little home. And I would cry and cry and cry all over again. I guess the sobbing during the car rides back and forth didn't touch the sadness I felt swept away by as I roamed our few rooms and looked at Archer's paints, his surfboard, his bottle cap collection, his cards, another book he was reading, his razor in the bathroom. It just went on. It was too much to bear. But it was safe to weep deeply for a long while until I had no more left that night. I didn't realize how much loss I had in me. As part of all the look back and all the piecing together this story, I found this note on my phone from that night. Oh my God. This throws me into a momentary delirium. I need to chronicle my good life so I remember it. So it does not get swept away. And so much agony in the abandonment of the past. I stare at my closet in Cape May full of colorful, thin, light summer dresses. What does this mean? I'll never wear them again. I look at Archer's room and all the slumber parties with the five beds. Will he never know that unity of lounging around with his brothers and friends on mattresses pushed together on a late wake-up in the warm summer air? I crawled in bed with my heart cracking open again. I closed my eyes. I could feel the Cape May breeze off the ocean, cooling the hot summer night. I imagined taking in a long inhale of the fragrance of roses in Archer's healing sanctuary. And I imagined Archer breathing on his own. And I imagine reaching for Archer's hand and he reaching for mine. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love Hope for everything. Obtain everything. 
Thank you for joining me for the Blink of an Eye story. You may tune in to the trauma healing learnings that accompany this story this Saturday at Trauma Healing Learning, Episode 6, Healing Sanctuary. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Blink of an Eye Pod. Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. As we listen together, we raise the vibration for healing across the planet. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. For 28 years, Baltimore Mediation has served clients worldwide by facilitating negotiation breakthroughs, believing in their capacity for meaningful face-to-face dialogue. You can learn more at baltimoremediation.com.